Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor, and it is Friday, uh, September 10th. We are on the eve of an unfortunate anniversary, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 is tomorrow. Um, it's it's amazing to consider uh, just how fast time flies, and and in honor of remembrance, in honor of God's faithfulness, to remember those thousands that have lost their lives, the families that have been affected. We wanted to take some time today to talk about nine eleven. Uh, so you guys listening on Grace FM, you're going to hear this on the eve of 9-11, but <clears throat> for many of you uh, on on our Freedom Radio Network, on Truth FM and Hope FM, you're going to hear this uh, one week later, so you'll be able to reflect backwards uh, after a week um, after the 20th anniversary, but for those of us live right now on Grace FM, maybe podcasting, and we'll probably rebroadcast this from time to time, uh, we want to spend some time giving opportunity for testimony uh, to talk about such a significant, important, life-changing event uh, in our generation. So today I have a special guest. His name is Pastor Andy Dean. He's the Associate Senior Pastor at Cornerstone Community Church in Wildemar, California. He's also an adjunct member of Calvary Chapel Bible College. He was on staff uh, at Calvary Chapel in Old Bridge, New Jersey for many years. He is a personal friend of mine, and uh, he has a testimony specifically related to his time uh, in New York because in 2001, he was a student at New York in, at NYU, New York University. So, uh, Pastor Andy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Pastor Ed. It's so good to be talking with you. Hey, so good to hear your voice, to have you back again. And because we're limited on time, let's jump right into it. You know, a lot of people uh, can tell us what they were doing on September 11, 2001. I remember specifically, uh, we had just arrived in California. My oldest son uh, at the time, he had came, we had just taken a nap. We drove to California. Uh, we were sleeping at the time, and my youngest son came in, or my, excuse me, my oldest son came in. Uh, to wake us up and say, you got to see this, Dad. You got to see this. And so I remember exactly where I was when I received news. But you remember where you were on actually on the night prior, September 10th, 2001. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, September 10th, 20 years ago exactly. I was a 19-year-old sophomore at New York University. And I was out at all the bars in New York City, drinking way too much, trying to look for joy, trying to look for satisfaction in all the wrong places, and it wasn't working. I had backslidden from the, the Lord for over a year, 
45 minutes after arriving at New York University my freshman year, after my parents dropped me off there, somebody handed me a fake ID, and I traded my identity in Christ for this false identity. It didn't even look like me. And I went out and just pursued a lifestyle of partying and chasing after girls and, and really just looking to have fun away from the Lord. And the whole time it was miserable. I really did not enjoy it. I would come home, and on September 10th, I remember sitting in my bed, looking up, and saying, I know, Lord, I know, I was made for more than this, because I was raised in a, in a Christian home, so I knew the gospel, but I had walked so far and hard away from the Lord. But I, at this point, I had no power to come back to Him. I was just stuck in my habits and my sins. And so the next morning I woke up, and the, the sirens were going off like crazy outside. My phone was ringing in off-stop, and I finally put those things together and picked up the phone, and it was my mom, and she said, that a plane had hit the World Trade Center. And so I woke my roommate up, and we went outside. And before we could even see the towers, the, the whole sky was full of smoke, and people were kind of panicked and, and running. And we made our way towards the towers. I had only lived about five blocks away on Cliff Street at the time. And when we got to Broadway, the police were still trying to set up a blockade there. And we went past it, mostly because we were dumb college students, just looking to get closer and, and see what was going on. And we got all the way to Church Street and, and Cortland Avenue, and, and, and we looked up. We were just about 300 feet away from the bottom of the towers. In front of us was the World Trade Center 4 building that got crushed by the towers. Firemen were going inside and outside of that building to get to the towers. And behind me was this police line where people were just panicking. I mean, the looks on everyone's faces, the rumors going around that this wasn't an accident, this was an attack in multiple parts of the country. And so my roommate ended up taking off, and... I stayed there, and um, you know, I talked to somebody on the phone at NYU and told them where I was. They said, get out of there. That tower can fall, and I, I just didn't believe it could fall. And then my mom called, and I said, Mom, don't worry. I'm in Brooklyn. I couldn't be farther away. And I, I lied to her because I knew she'd come get me and um, just wanted to calm her down. And, and so I, I said, I'm, not, I'm nowhere near here, Mom. And she didn't believe me, but we, we hung up on the phone. And about a minute later, I hear screaming behind me, and I look back at the police line, and they're all running away. So I turn back around and look at the tower, and the first tower started to fall. At that point, I just had a hard time processing. I, I don't remember hearing any noise. Uh, after that, I, I thought, is this a movie? What's happening? And I knew I had to run, so I turned and started to run. I, I made it around Broadway when it started to, to hit the ground and, and turned on John Street when the wall of smoke hit me. It was a, a light brown wall of smoke warm just just hit me and kept going and then turned to absolute darkness right around then i was at um around four john street where evelyn's chocolate shop was and i was just about to go in and i heard some coughing behind me and there was a lady on the street just standing there so i, I pulled her inside this chocolate shop door was shattered for some reason and so we went inside there's about 15 of us in there and we were just trying to process what happened the whole place was full of smoke there's ash the size of a quarter in the air. We pull up our shirts over our mouths, just trying to filter the air a little bit. And after a few minutes, it wasn't getting any better. And that's when we realized we're starting to get dizzy. What if, what if we pass out and die here? So I asked the lady at the counter of the store, do you have a basement or a closet anywhere that has more oxygen? And she just began to cry and shook her head no. And, and that's when I realized that all that partying from the last year was doing me no good in a moment where I felt like in five minutes I was going to meet my maker, and I had consciously rejected him. I was transgressing against his sins, even though I knew the gospel. But there's only one thing to do when you, when you feel like that's going to happen. So I, 
I began to pray to the Lord, something I hadn't done in so long. And I, I even told the Lord, I said, I know this is cheap. It's cheap to ask you to forgive me right before I die, like to have this moment of clarity. But I began to plead and, and ask him to forgive me based on the life of Jesus and his righteousness, not who I was on September 10th and the year before. And I recited the gospel to myself, and I begged the Lord for forgiveness. And I was honestly, I was really shocked that I felt something, like I felt an assurance of my salvation. I felt forgiveness. I felt, a, I felt peace in my life for the first time in a year. And I was blown away that the Lord would forgive me, even though I was choosing to rebel against Him just the night before. And so now that I was back in this relationship with God, I, I asked Him, I said, Lord, is, is there anything you want me to do to help these people around me? I couldn't even, I couldn't even finish the sentence. It's like He cut me off midway, and, and I had a vision. I just had a clear image, like a photo in my mind, of 11 John Street. I had a sense that it would be across the street, and there would be oxygen in it, and I had to go there. And um, I didn't know where I was. I was running so fast, I didn't know where I was, and I'd never been to this chocolate shop. But I, I walk outside. I still can't see my hands in front of me because of the smoke. So I started singing a line from the song, Give Thanks, and, and particularly the line that says, let the weak say I am strong. Let the weak say I am strong. I just kept on repeating that to myself. I got across the street. There were two ladies there with their shirts over their mouth, pounding on the door. It was a glass door, so I began to, to kick it in, and another guy and I were able to open the door. And we, we got in there, and we were able to get some oxygen. Uh, after a minute in there, I knew I had to go back, and so I walked back across the street real slow, couldn't see anything. This time I missed it. I was to the right by about 20 feet. And so I felt my way along the, the storefronts until I got there, and I said, I found oxygen. F follow me. I found oxygen across the street, and 15 people stood up. They held hands, uh, and we walked across the street, and then they went up to the, to the third floor where there was going to be more, more air because the lobby was starting to fill with smoke. And so I don't know if it was a, a normal wind that morning or a gift from the Lord, but over the next 10 to 15 minutes, a breeze came through lower Manhattan that began to clear out the smoke. And you, you, you could see a few hundred feet in front of you. You just couldn't see the sky anymore. But you knew which way was east. And so people began to leave that building and head towards the South Street Seaport. I was about to head in that direction, and I saw somebody running back towards the wreckage. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, we need to get an oxygen tank to a deli on Fulton Street because people are passed out. So he and I went to this ambulance that was covered in dust and opened it up. There's nobody there, but we, I grabbed a huge medical bag and this, this oxygen tank, and we walked it over to the deli on Fulton Street. They were just panicking there, saying, come inside. But I, I just passed them the, the, the tank, and then I, I turned and just walked back towards ground zero by myself and spent a few minutes just by myself walking on top of the wreckage of the Twin Towers, screaming, is anyone alive? Is anyone alive? And I, I just remember thinking how ridiculous it is I was even saying those words in my life. And there was no movement, no people, no sign of anyone. The only movement was a, a pigeon shook itself off from underneath the dust because I startled it and it flew away. But then I, I turned when I saw that, and there was this tiny older lady standing there, frozen, her eyes shut. She was alive, but she was so close. I just, I just don't know how she was alive. She was so close, but her eyes were closed. So I went over, put my hands on her shoulders, and she began to scream, told her it was going to be okay. Right behind her was the closest surviving fire station, the FDNY 10 station on Liberty Street. And so it just felt like a few feet away she, was, she could have been there. And so I turned her around. We started to walk into this fire station, 
on the floor on the right-hand side, there was a fireman holding somebody who was in pain, uh, but he said it was just a broken hip. But this fireman was actually looking to the left, where there were two other firemen holding the hands of another fireman who was uh, laying there, and his uh, chest just had blood coming out of it. And you could tell. You could tell they just wanted to comfort him before he died. Mm. So I kept on walking and uh, was able to pass this lady off to someone that could help her and um, told the rest of the firemen I wanted to help. They gave me a mask and some goggles and told me to wait at the back of the at the firehouse, and they were going to go looking for a fireman named Charlie that was missing. So as I was at the back of the firehouse, the back door was open, and I saw a man on the second story of his apartment on Greenwich Street, and he was trying to put out a fire. And I yelled to him and said, get out of there. The second tower could fall, and he wasn't listening. But another man popped his head out the window on the second story and said, we can't get out. Our, our door on the bottom level is blocked by debris. And so I told another fireman, and we went over and cleared the debris and kind of pried the door back so him and his family could exit. And then around that time, we um, started looking for this guy named Charlie. So they're just yelling for, for Charlie. There's about five to seven uh, firemen and one police officer. And we're walking, and then we hear the deepest rumbling, the deepest noise, like an ocean wave that just got louder and louder and louder. For whatever reason, I didn't hear the first tower falling. My mind just wouldn't process it. But this, I just heard this noise and can't forget it. And another fireman yelled, it's coming down. And we knew he meant the second tower was coming down. We couldn't see it because of the smoke, but we were just running away from it. We got to a condominium, uh, 120 Greenwich Street, walked up the stairs into the, into the lobby. Uh, right when the wall of smoke was coming at us again, I ran to the back wall and saw a basement uh, door, and it was again locked. And so we turned around with the firemen, and the smoke just came inside the lobby, and we had to wait it out again. About 10 minutes later, they go outside, and they're shining their flashlights outside, and they're screaming for this guy, Charlie. And I thought, there's no way, there's no way this, this guy's alive after the second tower fell. But within a minute or two of me thinking that, another fireman walks up holding this guy named Charlie, and he was, and he was okay. So one of the guys turns to me and says, we need water bottles. Our eyes were stinging so bad at this point. And so uh, they told me to go into this deli. Now, this deli had a, a big window on the side that was shattered because of the debris. So I threw my bag over the, through the window, stepped on top of a fire hydrant, jumped over and went back to the, the deli refrigerators, emptied out the bag and just filled it with small Poland spring bottles. Got back out to the, to the firemen. We passed those out. And we're just kind of clearing our eyes out with those water bottles. We began to walk around the city and saw this one man running in with two bags and asked him what he was doing. And he said he owned a building down there and was checking on his tenants. Uh, so we ended up searching his building. It wasn't too tall um, and there was no one there. And then after that, we came around the corner, and we were just at absolute ground zero. I mean, there was a fire truck there that I touched that was gray until I touched it, and then it became red. And, and a, a whole other group of firemen were there now with new fire trucks that had pulled in, and they started putting out fires. And one of the guys just points at me and says, you, grab, grab that fire hose and bring it over here. Connect the fire hose over here. I was doing things I'd never done before. And for the next hour, I was just carrying fire hoses, connecting them, and talking with the firefighters. They had to put out car and building fires before they were allowed right. to search the buildings, but many of them began to search the buildings before those fires were out. They got, at this point, a city official came up to me and thought I was a liability or something and said, All right, you're not a fireman, why don't you, get, why don't you go home? And 
thanked me for it. But as I was as I was like kind of walking away from him, there was a man with a military ID named Paul Gross that uh, just acted like he was in charge. And he said, "All right, you see this truck that just pulled up with these huge Poland spring bottles, the big ones you have in an office." Is your job for the rest of the day is to walk up and down the lines of the firemen and give them something to drink. And so we couldn't find any cups or anything, so I just put it on my shoulder, walked up and down the line of the firemen that were on the hoses, and just poured it into their mouths, uh, up and down the lines. And then I'd go get another bottle, find some more firemen, and just I repeated that for hours and hours. One time I just wanted to go 200 feet to the left, but I had to climb so much of the wreckage that I, I left an entire bottle there because I knew I would never be able to get back there. It was too far. And, and as I was walking away, I hear a fireman say, where did this angel come from? And I turned around. I thought it was a fireman joke or something, so I turned around and tried to laugh, but he was, he was not laughing. He just ran to that water and looked so thirsty. It was just amazing watching the firemen and their bravery. There was, there was one fireman that before he drank, he decided to feed his or let his rescued dr- dog drink. And, so I just did this for hours, and um, eventually... I looked around, and it was, you know, one or two in the afternoon, and I realized, okay, it's not, it's not just me now handing out water. There's New, there's New Yorkers here pushing grocery carts full of supplies, handing them out to firefighters, and so I felt like I wasn't needed as much. And so I sat down horizontally on a beam that should have been vertical on the World Trade Center, and there were firemen on both sides of me, and we just, just sat there and just talked I looked to my left, there was a huge line of 20 firemen waiting to use a payphone to call and tell their family they were alive because none of our cell phones were working. Right. And I got up and I left, and every time I got to a checkpoint, I looked back and I realized I'd never be allowed back down there again. I made my way back to the NYU building, and they told me they evacuated the, the dorm to the athletic center, you know, 40 blocks up or something. So I started walking through Chinatown. And they had, at this point, they had tables all on the streets. Every home brought out a table and made handmade signs saying, here's something to drink, here's some food, here's a bathroom, whatever you need. So somebody hands me a glass of water, and I realized at that moment that I hadn't had a sip of water all day, and the Lord had just sustained me. And so I just thanked the Lord for his protection. And It took me a while to walk all the way up to Houston Street. And when I got there to the NYU Athletic Center, the students that my friends were just crying because I was the last to check in. So they figured that I had died. And so I went downstairs to go to the men's showers to shower up. I normally don't tell shower stories, Pastor, and forgive me. But, um, <laughs> and so I was down there and I feel like I was only down there for a minute. And another guy walks in and he says, are you okay? And I said, well, I would, I would be okay if you weren't in here looking at me. And he said, well, you've been down here for over an hour. And I said, no, I've been down here for less than five minutes. And then, and they said, no, it's been an hour. And I looked at my hands, and they were the pruniest I had ever seen them. And he told me that I had fallen asleep standing up underneath the shower for, for over an hour. At that point, I was like, okay, I don't, something's wrong with me. <laughs> and I've lost touch with reality. And so yeah. I went to the NYU Medical Center. They checked my chest for asbestos, and it was clear. And um, that night, we couldn't go back to our dorms for weeks. So that night, we were all on a 14th Street dormitory near Union Square, there was about 15 of us packed into a you know, four-person room, and we all went to bed, but a remote control fell off the TV in the middle of the night and hit the ground, and we all started crying. <laughs> oh, wow. We're like, man, what's wrong with us? You know, and so the next day we took the, the trains were all free, leaving the city, and I uh, went home and began to tell people how the Lord had saved me and how 
I didn't deserve it because of how I was living on September 10th and the whole year before. And the church rallied around me, and I and I got biblical counseling from Calvary Chapel Oldbridge, and people poured their their lives into me and just let me process it. And people began to say things like, "God's got a plan for your life," and that actually really bothered me because I I was too close to my sin to see what this plan was that God has for me. They they didn't know that just a week earlier in my NYU speech class, I was giving a five minute speech, and I had I had thrown my note cards at the camera and said, "I can't do this because of the anxiety." And here people are telling me, like, they see a calling on my life, and maybe I'll be a pastor, and I, I just couldn't see it. But it's because I had spent a year and a half giving in to sin, it was going to take a while to walk in repentance for me to build my relationship with the Lord, build some Bible study habits and prayer habits, and mostly I needed accountability. So I, I went back every other week. I went back to New Jersey, and uh, a man named Dennis Blondo, who worked in New York City, never worked for the church, but he's one of the most important people in my life. He just... He mentored me at the college and career group for years as I turned my life from one of partying in New York City to being a witness for Jesus in New York City. That was the accountability that I needed uh, coming back and having a, a body of friends there. And so I, I, I try and encourage people that I, I know aren't really bought into Christianity or they're, they're thinking, I'm just going to take a season and, and party and have fun, and maybe when I'm later I'll come back to the Lord. I, I lived that life, and it was miserable. And if people are honest with themselves, when they're looking for satisfaction outside of the Lord, it's not a satisfying life. Everything disappoints us, and nothing ever really lives up to expectations because we were made for a relationship with God. And I lived that life miserably for over a year, and when I finally turned and started to walk with the Lord, I mean, I had four months of loneliness after that. I had no friends because all my friends were party animals, so it took me four months to meet some good Christian friends. And the Lord kept on whispering. I really feel like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, am I worth it? Am I worth not having any friends for months? Is it still worth it to follow me? Are you going to give up again and run from me? And he was worth it, and he gave me the grace. And so I slowly turned back towards him, and the Church, you know, supported me and built me up. And uh, and then it's just amazing. I mean, the very that very week I met in New York City, Lloyd Poley, the pastor of Calvary Chapel Old Bridge, and when I graduated from from college, I got hired at that church and became their youth pastor for eight years. That very week, I met Brian Broderson, and, and after I worked at Calvary Chapel Oldbridge for eight years, I worked at the Bible College under him as president for eight years. And so it's, it's wild to think how the Lord used that day to call me uh, back to him, to call me into ministry, to introduce me to the exact pastors I'd be serving for, um, and, I, and I did not deserve it. And so I, I think of... It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. That's what I keep thinking of. Like, I, I am and was so undeserving of that, mm-hmm. not second chance, but, you know, thousands chance sure. to, to go to the Lord. And yet the Lord was kind and, and forgave me. Andy, can we take a couple of minutes uh, since we're, we're almost at the end of the segment? Um, you know, it's 20 years later. I'm listening to you. I know you. I've spent time with you. I know your personality, uh, vibrant, full of life, and you're you're taking us back to such a traumatic, uh, life changing event. Not only for the world, but for you personally, and for thousands of other people that were there personally. And now we're twenty years later. Can you can you speak to the healing power of God? How does someone? How, how did Andy? And then how does someone deal with trauma that? 
you carry it with you. I mean, you were describing some of the events. It sounded like it felt like you were there just talking to you right now. Is Do you have any insight that you can share in the next couple minutes about people that have had life-changing trauma and have experienced the healing that you've experienced? Yeah, for me, I knew, I felt like I had some makeup time from those lost years. And so I, I made a commitment to only listen to worship music um, from that point forward. Uh, I mean, I like a good oldie song, The Dance of My Wife at a Wedding, but but I, I, spend, I spent all of my time over the next few years at NYU, whenever I was studying or working, just listening to worship music because I needed to fill myself with those Philippians 4-8 good things. Yeah. And with my hope, and it was an experiment, my hope was that it would push out the bad things, not only my sinful lifestyle, but some of the, the trauma that I, had, that I had gone through. And the Lord was faithful. As I, as I chose to reestablish those habits, or start for the first time, really, those habits of having a daily quiet time, seeking the Lord in the Bible, not for knowledge, but for relationship, and then worshiping Him. Um, as, as I just did that, you look back and you can't tell when it happened, but then you're just okay. And I wasn't okay at first, Pastor Ed. I was, I mean, I would walk around New York City, and it's very normal for a subway to go underneath of you and the ground to shake, right? That's just a normal experience. You've felt that. But for for a year, I would stop walking and look up to see what building was falling on me. Mm. And then I'd walk into a building, and I'd I'd look around and decide where to sit just in case it fell down. And you're like, well, that's not normal. But eventually those things faded as I just stayed close to the Lord it wasn't an active thing of taking my thoughts captive. It was just abiding in the vine, staying so close to the Lord um, that eventually he, he was able to, to help me through that. And part of it, maybe how he wired the, the body, right? I, I honestly forget. I forget fully about September 11th completely, unless the time of the day is 9-11 in the morning or 9-11 at night, or if it's September. The rest of the time, it could it could be gone from. I forgot about it for eight months at a time, and that just might be the, yes. how the Lord wired the body to um, protect us and help us to move forward, to help us to black those things out. But I'm thankful I wrote everything down two days two days after I was there, so I could kind of look back and reflect on it. Well, it is a momentous day, and I think that it's good for for everyone listening in to understand that you you just never know what people are walking around with. You don't know. Like if you were to meet Andy, if you saw him at the Bible College or you came to a service uh, in his church there in California, that you you would see vibrancy in life. You would see the presence of Christ in him and through him, interacting with his wife and his kids, but the man, um, like many of us, carry these traumas and difficulties. The Holy Spirit uh, is able to encourage us, um, but in those times where they come back, um, or when memories come back, it's a constant, continual casting our cares upon the Lord because He cares for us. And and so, Andy, you know, we're coming up to the end of the segment, and I just I know it was it was uh, it was a big investment of time for you, even going back to that moment. But for the sake of everyone listening, I just want to thank you, and I appreciate. Um, I know you could, we could go on and on. I mean, there's so many stories of how God's used you, and I just appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you being honest with us, and and uh, we pray blessings on what God's doing in your life today. Yeah, every time you're in town, Pastor Ed, and I text you when I hear you're in town, I say, do you want to grab lunch? You're always on the way to the airport already, so next time I'm going to text you <laughs> We're going to connect. <laughs> We're going to connect. I look forward to it. So love you, man. God bless you. Love you, too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, it's, uh, I, I want to devote the rest of the program to calls uh, about trauma, about difficulty, about grief, 
Um, so give me a call, 303-690-3000. Uh, text me, 720-336-0897. Uh, we're not going to have like a normal show. I'm not just going to revert it back. If you have memories of 9-11 or you, I've got a, I've got a couple things I want to lead off the second half with. Uh, as I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, I, I just I, I know that 9/11 has affected us in many different ways. I mean, if you think of the 2,972 lives that were lost, their families, their kids, their grandkids, uh, the long-lasting. I mean, if you listen to Pastor Andy and um, you know hearing him, I mean, I was listening. I've read his story before. Um, in, a, in a magazine but listening him take me there and listening to the pain I know some of you have that same experience I want to talk about the healing power of God stick with us we'll be right back welcome back to Calvary Live Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the second half of the program. Uh, If you're listening uh, at a different time, whether you're podcasting or listening to this on an archive or you guys listening on Freedom uh, FM or Hope FM or Truth FM or anywhere else other than Grace FM. This is being recorded, even though it's live right now, on September 10th, uh, 2021. We're on the eve of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And in the first segment, I hope you were listening in. If not, you need to go back and listen. I interviewed a good friend of mine, Pastor Andy Dean. Uh, He is the Associate Senior Pastor at Cornerstone Community Church in Wildemar, California. It's right next to Calvary Chapel Bible College in Murrieta. And uh, I met Andy many, many years ago uh, in ministry together. We've served together many times. I've gone out to the Bible College while he was there and just a uh, privilege of serving alongside of him. He was there in the moment um, for 9-11. Uh, he was partying and far from God. And uh, he was there for the collapse of the towers. And he, we just finished hearing a real abbreviated version of his testimony. Uh, and, and that just leads me to shift gears in the second half of the program to talk about trauma, to talk about long-lasting pain, sorrow, grief. Um, you know, the reality of discouragement, depression, uh, all of those things. So if you want to talk about those topics today... I will take your call. We're not taking the typical Bible uh, calls. If you want prayer for discouragement, I will. Anything on this topic, if you just want prayer and you want me to pray for you, I'm ready to do that. But all the typical phone calls, you know, Bible questions and stuff, we will delay until another program, okay? Just so that the Holy Spirit can really minister comfort and encouragement. Um, You know, just thinking about some scriptures, uh, Matthew chapter 11 In verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
you know, and there's a rest that's involved. Even, even you, you, you and I, I didn't really prepare for this, so I'm going to talk through thoroughly uh, in in just where the Lord has had me for the last eight years or so, and hopefully it'll all kind of end up at the same place. But you don't plan for long-term trauma and trials. You can't. One of the reasons is you just don't know when it's going to happen. Things can change in an instant. A phone call, a text message, um, tragedy, terror, uh, decisions that are made that are made for us or even made against us. And here's the thing as, as believers and just the human condition, we as, as Christians, and again, if you, ha- you want me to pray, you're really dealing with discouragement, I want to pray for you. If you have questions how to deal with your trauma, uh, how to deal with a longstanding trial or tribulation, I want to help you with that. Um, I want to help you walk through that. Um, the number to dial is 303-690-3000. <clears throat> you can text me at 720-336-0897. Um, you don't plan for trauma. Um, and typically, as believers, we treat trials you know, sort of like there's a beginning of a trial. You kind of go through it, and then there's a definite end, and then you move on to the next one beginning, middle, move on to the next one, beginning, middle, move on to the next one. And there becomes a repetitive way of responding to the difficulties of life. We trust in the Lord. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's challenging. And then, and then eventually every one of us are going to experience this. You're going to experience it. I'm experiencing it right now. There's a beginning of a trial and then an end, or excuse me, a middle that never seems to end. There's just, it's not so quick. It didn't resolve itself in a month or two or a year or now eight years for me, almost eight and a half years. It hasn't resolved itself. It only gets worse in some ways because people are involved and people can make it worse instead of better. And and then your own emotions can make it worse and your own response can make it worse. And the enemy of our souls can make it worse. And you think, man, this is never going to end. And you derive strength from him. Um, well, let's, let's pause there for a second. You're in the midst of something with a long middle. What are your choices? Well, you could walk away from the Lord. Many people have done that. They get mad at God because God, there's a great disappointment that is involved with heavy trials. Why did you, you know, the questions of why, right? Why this? Why now? Why me? Um, and you know, those are valid questions. There's nothing wrong with those questions. It's nothing wrong with asking those questions. But I can say that I've learned through the years and through great, difficult, traumatic trials that the question isn't so much why, but who. Who am I truly trusting my life to? Who am I in my relationship with Christ? Has, you know, you you think if you just heard Andy's story, it was a dramatic event in his life that actually was a catalyst for bringing him back from a prodigal experience. You know, you parents of prodigal kids, you know how you're praying, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes. Well, the answer to the prayer surrounding Pastor Andy. Um, involved his 
proximity to the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil to ever take place ever, and hopefully will only be will be the worst that has and the worst that will ever be. And it was in that event that the Lord drew him back to himself instantaneously, instantaneously. And so there are in there 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 are trials that just never seem to end. And the question remains, what do we do? How do we respond? And the answers, uh, you know, that we're seeking is, is not just explanations. I think it was Warren Wiersbe that said, uh, we, we don't live by explanations. We live by faith. And these are faith-building, even though sometimes they feel like they're faith-crushing, they're faith-building um, events in our lives. And I know it's challenging. I Listening to Andy, I mean, it was almost like we were there with him. And emotions are welling up in him as he has these images and these visuals. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine today, calling to check in on him, because about a year, a little over a year ago, a year and two months ago, his precious wife um, passed away. And I was checking in on him and um, seeing how he was doing. I know it's been challenging. He just just passed the one-year mark. And uh, he was sharing with me that nights have been challenging for him. The nights. And it's just been hard. The evenings, the darkness. And it wasn't so much uh, an empty bed, actually. You know, kind of you kind of assume, well, he doesn't have his wife there. So it's the empty bed. It's the empty house. That wasn't it. But before he began to explain it, I said, well, you know what, brother? I I, um, I, I kind of understand that because Saturday mornings are super hard for me. Almost every single Saturday morning, almost 400 of them, you know, 52 weeks in a year, eight years, almost 400 of, of Saturday mornings um, have been hard for me uh, because... Uh, Saturday morning, early in the dark, darker hours of Saturday morning, a very good friend of mine, Henry, who and he and I go back, um, you know, th- almost 30 years, he married Maria, who is the sister, you know, Maria and I sort of grew up together, but her brother is one of my best friends. Uh, so we kind of grew up in the neighborhood together. But Henry was at my front door here at this house. Um, letting me know that my son had passed away finally, that um, he just didn't wake up. Um, And so Saturday morning, especially if I wake up early, I can't even sleep in on Saturdays. It's one of the only days I can sleep in. I can't sleep in um, that the, um, in the darkness, you know, it's just hard. I have to journal it out, pray it out, change my routine, get ready. I got service and stuff. And so my friend then said, that's it. My wife passed away in the dark. It was evenings, and for the first the year prior to her passing, we were in, in the evenings just dealing with the, the reality of her difficulties at night, and so now at night has been difficult. And so you have Andy, who has memories of 9-11, you know, and he has memories, sounds, and things that would happen, and traumatic trigger points. And maybe you have a trigger point, and I just want to affirm that in your life, that you know, people don't understand it. They they don't grasp it. Um, 
you know, the, the, but it's a trigger point because it's attached to that pain. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. So I'm only speaking to you as a pastor and as a friend. Um, but that trigger uh, just reminds you, almost brings you back to that moment and which makes you feel like you haven't made any progress yet. But as believers, the Bible says that we can, we have the power as we abide in Christ that we can take every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. And, and his presence and his power is available to you. And he is for you, not against you. And it's, you're going to face some of the hardest, most difficult things on this earth. Um, that's just the way it is. But as you do, you will be able to face it with, with strength and help. Let me, let, me share, let, me, let me share another scripture with you from Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I'm going, to, I'm going to read it to you from the New Living because I think they do a better job ga- capturing the Hebrew language here. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord Yahweh is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor he will he remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Yahweh is like a father to his children. Listen, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, those who obey his commands. And then here we are on the eve of 9-11, and we want to acknowledge the families of, and loved ones of those uh, that lost their lives that fateful day. We want to acknowledge the heroes that ran into um, difficulty, not away from it. Uh, we think of all the first responders, the firefighters, thinking very instinctively of other safety and not their own we think of the you know the civilians like Andy who uh, will not get the they they won't be on the news they won't be in the newspaper um walking around with uh water jugs um giving water to those in need rescuing pulling people into rooms i remember being uh at 9-11, not too long after, uh, as we were ministering to people, we, we took a t- couple of trips to, to New York as a short-term mission to help, to serve, to be available. And, and just looking at the in, uh, incredible bravery and seeing it firsthand, um, I'm grateful for that internal fortitude that is in unbelievers and believers alike that are eager 
to stand in the gap to help those. So thank you, anyone listening. I know this program gets broadcast on the East Coast as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For those that are grieving still, I'm sorry. Uh, My heart and prayers are with you uh, to, uh, you know, come alongside of you and pray for you uh, to voice out loud you're not forgotten. Um, You are uh, important. What you have done in matters. What you are doing matters. And, and then, you know, broadening that topic of trauma and difficulty, I know that people, I know you're listening right now that uh, have uh, significant trauma. And, and, you know, I think of Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 73, verse 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by your right hand. You'll guide me with your counsel, and afterward you'll receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now let me take a few moments and give you some practical help if you're here in the Denver metro area, here at Calvary Church. Uh, we have we have ministries that are available to serve you in the realm of first responders. For example, we have a ministry here called Waypoint One. It is for all first responders and military and their spouses. They meet on the second and fourth Tuesdays up on the third floor in our building here, serving current retired law enforcement, fire, EMT, rescue. I mean, I'm listening to some of the 911 calls, dispatchers, spouses, military, using the word of God to relate the truths of God to the very unique, sensitive, difficult role you play in society. It's called Waypoint One Ministry. We want you to come and be a part of it. We want to serve you. We want to help you process the trauma and difficulties that you deal with daily, daily, daily. In addition to that, here at Calvary, uh, here in Colorado, we have a ministry for those um, dealing with PTS, post-traumatic stress. It is a nine-week foundational Bible study that supports military, non-military, like those of you dealing with post-traumatic stress, no matter the uh, no matter the origin, you know what caused it. And Randy, what a godly, he's one of our elders here. He's been here for many years. I mean, the leaders of our ministries are just top-notch. Matt, who oversees Waypoint One, Randy, who oversees, I think he calls his ministry Unchained. Uh, They they have dedicated their lives along with their spouses to serve you and help you walk in the healing that's available to you in Christ. Uh, So we want to help you. And I'm sure if you have in your local church or in your community, there are also ministries designed to serve you. I mean, across the board, we also have grief share here. And we also have a sister in our church who experienced the trauma of, a, of losing a child, a baby. And uh, she has turned that around to um, a minister to moms uh, that has 
that have s- struggled uh, and lost big children, miscarriage and such. Because and, there's just a lot of pain. And I believe God has put our church on the earth to help relieve that pain, to help carry the burden, to help lighten the load, to help get point us and mutually point each other to the love and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the strength and the hope of Jesus Christ here on the eve of 9-11. We have to be careful not to allow things to be, to be caught up in different narratives, but to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's to bring the gospel to the hurting and to the lost. If you're contemplating, even on the eve, it's brought up all these um, thoughts, and you're contemplating suicide, I want you to call for help. There is a national suicide prevention uh, lifeline. And here's the number, 800-273-8255. You have so much more life to live. Don't please make a permanent decision to deal with a temporary problem. And I know it doesn't feel temporary. It feels like it's never going to end. But the Lord is able to heal your broken heart. I also want to point you to a couple of books that we have here, and I want you to get them for yourself or for others. And I just want to assure you that this is not, I'm not trying to sell you a book because all the net proceeds go to our missionaries. I just want to put a resource in your hand. Uh, the first one is a little mini book we put together. It's, it's You Will Make It Through. And this was a little pamphlet booklet we put together to help you process long-term trials. And uh, it's simple, to the point, and very, very helpful as it connects you to the Lord. And then after the death of my son and all the difficulties that have continued um, in the drama and spiritual warfare surrounding decisions being made uh, by others, uh, the Lord gave me a... Uh, book, a series of Bible studies, and then with the help of my assistant and a team, we put it together in book form. It's called God's Help for the Troubled Heart. And God has used this little book, these two little books, to bring so much encouragement because the goal is to get your eyes back on the Lord. And I'll tell you why books are important. This puts you back into someone's life. You hand it to them, you drive it over to them, you give it to them at work. Um, you know, maybe you have to order it and send it in the mail. That's fine. But but this would put you back into their life physically to minister to them. So God's help uh, to, for the troubled heart and you will make it through or two resources we, we put together recently here at Calvary to help you. And again, all the proceeds, the net proceeds go to missions. So you're you're not only ministering to someone, but you're also supporting a missionary somewhere um, that we support. And we have uh, dozens of them. And so just on this eve of 9-11, or whenever you're hearing this, I believe it's good to end our program reminding you of the faithfulness of God. There are dozens and dozens of resources available to you. We have resources on depression. I didn't write it, but uh, I can recommend a book on depression, on grief, on recovering from trauma, getting your eyes on the Lord. Um, It's... It, it, we're a church that likes to resource to get to help you. So you can go to our store. We have a store that's part of our church, Calvary CO, that stands for Colorado, dot store. 
calvaryco.store. And these resources are available as well as resources on depression and books that you can trust. Everything on that website you can trust. It's part of our discipleship here at Calvary. That's why we make it available. And I just want to affirm once again the love of God for you that are struggling, uh, the love of God for you that are um, hurting. And whether you can come to a ministry here or get plugged in, maybe today is the catalyst for you to finally ask for help and humble yourself in asking for help or reading through. If you email me, ed at edtaylor.org, I'll respond to that email with a uh, list of scriptures just to comfort you, just Bible scriptures that are in the scriptures that are in the Bible that will comfort you. So you can just read them and read them like Psalm 119, verse 49. Um, Remember the word to your servant, upon which you've caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. Psalm 119, verse 49 and 50. And these are scriptures that you can memorize so that the Holy Spirit can bring them to your remembrance and you can make it through the day. I I like something that I learned from Elizabeth Elliot. She's She's written a lot of great resources and books on Again, on our on our list of recommended books, this is one of them. And she, one of the principles I learned from her was that I needed to learn how to do the next thing. If I was going to walk through this trial, I needed to learn to do the next thing. And what she meant by that was I, I need to just do the dishes, wash the car, get up and take a shower, get dressed. Yeah, sometimes life is reduced to you don't even want to get out of bed. And I'm super, super sorry for those of you that don't even want to get out of bed. My heart is with you. Where you just put the covers over your head and you just don't want to face anybody. You don't want to face anything. My heart is with you. I'm sorry. It is super hard. I, I developed a new phrase. I'm sure I didn't invent it, but I, I've adopted it. I invented it. I mean, I... I I think I thought of it, but I started describing things as harder than hard. You know, you, you, you have what you're going through. Like I've met so many of you, you've got what you're going through. Then you've got people attacking you, people lying about you, people uh, making life harder for you. And, and on top of that, they say they're Christians. They say they, they may even gone to church with you before, or uh, I mean, the complications of family issues and financial issues and cultural issues and societal issues. And then on top of the grief and trauma and pain and sorrow and sadness, it's a recipe for disaster apart from the Lord. So before I end our segment in prayer, I just want to remind you, would you check in on someone this week, please? Would you call them? Would you text them? Would you reach out to them? Do you know someone that lost a loved one five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years? Would you check in on them? Do you know somebody that was affected by 9-11? Would you check in on them? Do you know a police officer or a firefighter? Would you check in on them? It it may be they say everything's fine, everything's great, but you're just making yourself available to minister to them. And as you're checking in on them, thank them, support them, love on them, get them a pie, whatever it might be that you could express your love in a very tangible way. Pray for them. Give them a book, a gift. Hey, I want to give you this this gift. I, I, I want to express my love to you. So, Father, 
on this eve of 9/11 i pray that you would bring that you would move across across the nation right now and across many hearts listening in comfort and encouragement the bible you say that you're the god of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation that tells me that every comfort only comes from you and i pray for the hurting i pray for those that feel like there's no way out feel like it's never going to end in the midst of a long middle they've had the beginning of the trial now they're in the long middle and it may not end until you return would you give them supernatural strength a tenacity some just need to get out of bed some just need to take a shower some just need to wash the car some just need to go back to work but lord thank you for testimonies like andy who experience uh, some of the worst trauma in his life and he's walking with you loving you serving you even though every day at 9 11 evening and morning he's reminded i pray for the memory those that are plagued by memories I pray against the evil of people that would want to make it harder, that would want to make it more difficult. And we just hide in you, Lord, trusting you to strengthen us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So thank you guys uh, for your prayers, for your encouragement, for each other. Go out and be the church this week. Thank a first responder. Pray for everyone touched by 9-11. Don't get caught up in the secondary or tertiary narratives. Stay within the gospel narrative. Stay within the love of Christ. It's people, 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 the souls of men. Be used this week. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us. May the Lord encourage you and strengthen you. See you in church this weekend. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.